listening to Beyond Infinity. We have the great pleasure and honour of having Dr. Tony Hayes, retired physicist, been on the program a few times before, uh, back in the studio. So good morning, Tony, and welcome to Beyond Infinity. Good morning. We should just launch straight into this. We've got a, a few things we want to cover today, but uh, the first thing and the main thing is a piece that you have presented elsewhere at the U3A, which he also does, the University of the Third Age. But this is called Our Restless Earth, and it's it's fascinating. I've been talking about it off air with Tony already. It is about a scientific revolution that came about because people started understanding continental drift as it was first known and then it became known as plate tectonics and this is the way that that the continents and and uh, have actually moved around a lot over time over long periods of time we're talking millions of years billions of years on earth there's things like pangea and gondwana australian listeners will be familiar more familiar with that term and these were names that were given to early supercontinents before things broke up or before things changed to look the way that they are now. And something that I was quite interested to learn is that apparently Tasmania was originally connected to North America. It has migrated right round to the other end of the earth and then actually sort of attached itself to the Australian continent. And that's apparently one of the reasons why Tasmania has quite distinct and unusual geology compared with mainland Australia. Much hillier, very mountainous, and still, I suppose, a similar look to uh, the Australian mainland in many ways, but the geology underlying it is quite different. It's, a, it's an example of how continental drift and plate tectonics moved things around and, uh, and, and married things together, which in some ways are incongruous. So, Tony... Great to have you here. Give us a little bit of an introduction to this, because the, the way that this came about, the early hints that there was such a thing as plate tectonics, is really interesting how, how science got hold of those and then eventually came up with this revolutionary theory. Well, it's all a very recent concept. In, in my lifetime, there was, there's been a scientific revolution, and I'm using the words of Thomas Kuhn to say it was a paradigm shift. Let me explain. Prior to the 1960s, no one would have got a job in a geology department if they believed in continental drift. After the 1960s, no one would have got a job in a geology department unless they believed in continental drift. Hmm. So something dramatic happened. Well, let me try and explain. Hmm. Way back as early as the 16th century, scholars had noticed that there was a a congruent between the shape of Africa and the shape of South America. These two land masses looked as if they might fit together. And it's been much recorded since. But in modern times, the man who put the work in, not only co to compare the shapes of the coastlines, but to compare the rock types, the rock formations, and the fossils on either side, was a German called Alfred Wigener. Now, Wigener was a meteorologist, he was a balloonist, he was a polar explorer, but he was not a geologist. And he was not taken seriously by the geologists. Wigener died during an expedition to Greenland, 
and his companion buried him with great care and left a pair of skis to mark the grave. The companion went on to try and reach the western camp that they had, but he was never seen again. Hmm. Vigano's grave was found. Vigano was the first man to use the phrase continental drift. In fact, his followers, there were not many, but they became known as the drifters. Right. Now, those of a certain age would remember that Cliff Richard's backing group was originally called the Drifters. Hmm. They later became the Shadows. Hmm. But I'm sure they didn't choose their name Drifters for geophysical reasons. However, I digress. Our Drifters invented the concept of ocean floor spreading. And they identified the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. They found evidence for fossils and different types of rock on either side of the, of the ridge, and they measured the thickness of the ocean floor, sediment on either side of the ridge. And it did look as if the Atlantic was widening, spreading from this ridge outwards. They still won little support. Well, if the Atlantic was opening up, was the world getting bigger? How could continents possibly move? How could they float? Now, the answer came in the 60s. And it came from the work of a young Cambridge geologist, Frederick Vine. I've got to digress here. I've got to talk about geomagnetism. The magnetic poles are not located at the ends of the axis on which the Earth turns. They're not at the North Pole and the South Pole. What's more, the magnetic poles do not stay in one place. They drift. When Sir Douglas Mawson trekked to the South Magnetic Pole in 1909, it was on a high ice plateau. It's now in the sea. Hmm. We think of the North Magnetic Pole as being in Canada. Well, it's heading rapidly towards Siberia. Somewhat more alarmingly, the magnetic poles change places from time to time. There have been numerous times during the the past when the north seeking end of a compass would point to what Paul Keating <laughs> referred to as the arse end of the world. So the Earth's magnetic field flips from time to time and you can see evidence for this in the rocks. Yep. When a magnetic material, and many rocks are magnetic, is heated above what's known as the Curie temperature, the magnetic dipoles, the little bits of magnet inside them, the little crystalline magnets, flip around and go in all sorts of places. But when the material cools down below the Curie temperature, they align themselves up with the Earth's magnetic field. And you can look at samples of rocks, and you can get a graph of the direction of the magnetic field against time. And it looks a bit like a barcode. If you color in the, the north situation when the north seeking pole points to the north pole then you black and the opposite was white then you get a series of barcodes some bars are broader than others but it's a very distinctive series of magnetic reversals until recently it was thought that magnetic reversals had never happened during the time that humans have been on earth they were all too long ago however a brief but large magnetic excursion, not a, not a total flip, but a large magnetic fluctuation occurred 40,000 years ago, and it was recorded in the stone fireplace near Lake Mongo. 
the material of the, of the fireplace had obviously been heated above the Curie temperature. When it cooled down, it recorded the direction of the Earth's magnetic field at that, this time. Hmm. Vine and his colleagues proposed that the seafloor either side of the mid-Atlantic ridge should be composed of rocks which showed the direction of the Earth's magnetic field, corresponding to when it lays down. Fair enough. But, in addition, that that pattern of magnetic results should be symmetrical either side of the ridge. So if the ocean floor was spreading, you get a barcode on the left and a barcode on the right, the east and the west, which has symmetrical lines. And lo and behold, if, if only I could show you the diagram, you see the diagram, you cannot fail to notice that this is absolutely true. When they did the magnetometer measurements and produced the graph, it was very, very clear that the ocean floor was spreading. Yeah, but can you just explain how that links to pole shifting? Well, it's evidence that the magnetic poles have reversed. That evidence was well known from studies of volcanic material in various parts of the world. Yep, and yep. we knew the timescales involved when the flips happened. I mean, they didn't just flip overnight. What, what happens is that the magnetic field gets l smaller and smaller and then uh, turns over and goes the other way. And at the moment, actually, the magnetic field is getting really quite a lot weaker than what it was when, so we, when would we be, were young. So we're kind of due for a shift well, that could happen. yes, it's very hard to predict these things. They certainly seem to happen at, uh, randomly. There's, the, there's no way you can actually predict them, but it looks as if it's, we're heading that way. Yeah, I was just looking that apparently they can happen, polarity transition can happen between 1,000 and 10,000 years, but there are also some estimates they can happen as quickly as a human lifetime. Apparently 15 million year old lava flows on Steens Mountain in Oregon show that the Earth's magnetic field is capable of shifting at a rate of up to 6 degrees per day. Wow. So it can happen, happen really quite <laughs> yeah. quickly. Um, yeah. but, but what I was trying to understand is you, you were talking about polarity swaps, polarity reversal yes. between the, the two magnetic poles and how that, and I understand that that's shown through the crystals that are left over in, in rock so it can actually be observed. But how is evidence found for that in the mid-Atlantic mid trench and in those barcodes that you were describing? So the barcodes are showing that crystalline change in direction. Is that, what, is that the evidence? From it, the, from it, the, it, it is, but what the, the striking feature is that if you start at the mid-Atlantic ridge and go east, you get a series of barcodes corresponding to the the time is when the, when the compasses were pointing north or south and, and, and these barcodes are thick and thin and you get a pattern, a distinctive barcode pattern. If you start at the mid-Atlantic uh, ridge and go west, you get exactly the same pattern. It, it, it is symmetrical. Ah. So in fact, the evidence is very strong that, the, that this volcanic material has welled up from the mid-Atlantic ridge and spread outwards. And, and, and then that bit of the earth has got bigger. The two, we now call them tectonic plates, the two plates are splitting apart and leaving behind this, this trail of new rock and the magnetic field in it is aligned according to where the 
the magnetic poles were at the time that the rock was formed, at the, the time the rock cooled. And these, pla these places are known as nowadays as plate boundaries. And in fact, we find that there are opening plate boundaries like the Mid-Atlantic Ridge in various parts of the world. It's by no means unique. It's just a very obvious one. Now, detailed measurements these days have been made of the distance across the Atlantic Ocean. And it's growing at about the millions of years. It's significant. Now, this is not very fast, but if you think of millions of years, it's then it is significant. Yep. It's highly significant. Yep. And that's just for, for local people who want to think about the ring of fire to our north. Apparently, the Australian continent is, is moving up and colliding with Indonesia. It's actually moving at, as you said, that same rate, about the, the rate of fingernails growth. Uh, but that's what causes all those earthquakes and volcanoes along. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Australia is indeed heading north. Now, it's not the continents that drift. It's the plates that do the drifting. But the continents sit on top of the plates. Okay. And, and, and it doesn't mean that the world is getting bigger because there are lots of places in the world where the plates are actually subducting. Now, this is the word they use for when one plate dives under another. Mm. Now, you can imagine that when one plate dives under another, there's a lot of friction generated. Yep. This friction turns into heat and you get volcanoes on the, on the far side, on the up, upper side of the, the collision. And we now have a model which enables us to predict where volcanoes and earthquakes, of course, are going to happen, and they happen predominantly at plate boundaries. Yep. Some plates, of course, don't dive underneath each other, but they slide past each other. And the most famous example of this is the San Andreas Fault in California. Yep. Um, subducting plates, colliding plates form the Himalayas, and they cause volcanoes, and Australia is indeed heading towards India. Yeah. Now, the movements of plates have huge effects on the Earth's climate. A major ice age followed when the South American plate collided with the North American plate and prevented the ocean currents flowing between the Pacific and the Atlantic. Wow. I came originally from England, and England has a fairly benign climate, it never gets too cold in winter, and yet it's at the same latitude. Well, Scotland's at the same latitude as Moscow. Moscow gets incredibly cold. England is kept warm by this thing called the Gulf Stream, the ocean currents that bring the warm water up from the south. The position of the continents affects enormously the motion of the water in the oceans. Now, it is speculated and I don't quite understand this, it's speculated because we have a landmass at the South Pole, this is responsible for our fairly benign epoch. We live in a fairly benign e epoch. The, there have been times when the world has been a lot colder than it is, uh, times when it's been a lot hotter than it is, but we live in a nice temperate period. Mm. But there's much more to ice ages than plate tectonics. Right. The main factor, of course, is the heat we receive from the sun. Ice ages begin not when the winter gets colder. Ice ages begin when the summer temperatures fail to melt the snow that fell the previous winter. Now, that's a very important statement. Mm. Let's do it again. Mm. Ice ages begin not when the winters get colder and colder, but when the summers fail 
to melt the previous winter's snow. So an ice age is literally ice accumulation. It is. It's snow accumulation, ice accumulation, and it slowly builds up. Mm. So the snow that's being that's falling in each winter is not. It's not more snow falling in a particular winter. It's the, a consistent amount of snow falling. It's just that less of that melts because the summer is cooler. Well, that's how they begin. That's that's how ice ages start. Yes, yep. yes. Now, fortunately, the energy from the sun is remarkably constant. Mm. It does vary. It varies with the number of sunspots. And there was a time in the Middle Ages when, of course, the Thames froze. It was known as the Maunder Million, uh, Maunder Minimum. Um, there was a period where there were no well, sunspots. A, a different term. A, a different name. Mm. What does vary is the Earth's position with respect to the sun. Now, it's long been known that the Earth's orbit is subject to fluctuations. The Eccentricity, and now I often mispronounce that word and call it eccentricity, but it's eccentricity changes in a, a cycle which takes 100,000 years. And it was discovered by Kepler in the sixth, 1609, apparently. Now, what this means is that the Earth goes round the sun in what is essentially a circle, but it's not quite a circle, it's an ellipse. And the shape of this ellipse changes with time. And the time over which it repeats itself is 100,000 years. Mm -hmm. What also changes is the axial tilt. Now, the tilt of the axis at the moment is 23.5 degrees. But that isn't always constant. And that changes on a 41,000-year cycle. It's the axial tilt that actually determines the, the seasons. If the axial tilt was zero, in other words, if the North and South Pole pointed in a line perpendicular to the plane of the orbit of the Earth, yep. we would get no seasons at all. Yep. And the seasons cause, you know, if you ask Americans, why is it hotter in the summer than the winter? They say, well, the sun, you know, the Earth's nearer the sun in the summer. That's not true at all. It's just that the sun is tilted towards the sun during summertime and tilted away during wintertime. Yep, yep. The yep. man who did the mathematics... And that, that range, just for listeners who might be interested, sorry to interrupt, right, it's, it's 22.1 to 24.5 degrees is the range of tilt. Yes. From, from minimum to maximum. And now, it turns out that that's highly significant. But, but the man who did the mathematics to calculate these effects, um, on the, uh, he, he calculated the amount of sun's energy reaching various parts of the Earth at various times in the past. Now, he was a Serbian polymath mm. called Milutin Milankovic. Yeah. It's an interesting story. Very. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Beyond Infinity. 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 